In soccer, Mark Landon brings us up to date on the latest January transfers. Plus, we'll ask who France will put in goals against Ireland now that Hugo Norris has retired from international football. Plus, in rugby, Ian Keefe sets up for a decisive few days ahead for the Irish provinces. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Welcome back, Ruby. Happy birthday, Marie. Thanks very much. I didn't know if you'd remember or not, but I suppose we're, what, three, four years down the line? I actually don't even know um, how many Januaries we've spent talking about my birthday. I think when I retired, 2019, so 2021, 20, 22, 23. All right. Would that be right? It would be, yeah. Goes by pretty quickly. It does. Time flies and you're having fun, Marie. Well, I mean, you <laughs> said it. <laughs> uh, I did mention retirements there, and it is the season for it. We spoke about Gareth Bale yesterday, Lee Keegan, Hugo Lloris. They're getting younger, Ruby. They are getting younger, yeah. They are getting younger. Why do you say they're getting younger? What age is Hugo Lloris? Okay, well, he's a bit older, but Gareth Bale's 33, Lee Keegan's 33. Yeah. I suppose it all depends on the sport you're in, Marie. Like, I mean, Gareth Bale had lost what probably was his biggest attribute, which was speed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, like, I mean, it doesn't, like, a jockey's never going to lose speed. Neither a golfer or a snooker player. So that's not going to make them retire. So like, it depends on what, sp- what sport you're in. And like, I, I don't know what position you play. It probably comes into it as well. How much desire you have, too. And then also the other thing, like, when you look at, and we spoke about him a bit last night, Gareth Bale and Lee Keegan, one of them, it's a job. The other one is taking up a lot of time and you're not getting paid for it. So it's a very different decision-making process there. It is a huge different decision process there. Um, you know, the, the commitment Lee Keegan had to make um, was as probably as equal as, as Gareth Bale's. But what does Gareth Bale do? Does he slide down the leagues? Mm. He's earned a lot of money playing in Real Madrid. You know, play on the live tour. Or, yeah, or do what Cristiano Ronaldo did. Go off and play in Saudi Arabia. Really? Yeah, I was, I don't know, like we were, he's such a kind of a laid back kind of guy, like he, he doesn't strike me as somebody now that would get onto the thick of coaching and having to do his badges and work his way up through. He's trying to play his way onto the live tour, I'd say, on Gareth Bale. Yeah, well, he's probably more chance of that, all right, um, given the amount of time he's played, spent playing golf and the interest that he has in it. Uh, Davy Russell retired and we haven't had you on since um, he hung up the saddle. Is that what jockeys do? You hang it up, hang up your boots, really. Okay. Take off your boots. I uh, don't know, you hang them up either. I usually put them on the ground. I never understand that one. Who hangs up boots? <laughs> I always have to put boots on the ground. <laughs> Maybe because there's so much muck on them, you take them off the ground. I don't know. Uh, I think people were, it was going to happen at some stage. Were you surprised that it happened now? I was probably surprised at the timing of it, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah cause there's no doubt. I, like everybody else, knew he was well and truly on the back nine, but I didn't realise he was putting on the 18th um, mm-hmm. when he went to Turles that day. But, um, look, so when, when do you go? When do you decide? I mean, he was or had kind of slipped back to number two behind Jack and Gordon Elliott's, and unfortunately Jack Kennedy got a fall two weeks later and breaks his leg and, you know, it was Stevie sitting at home thinking now if only I hung on, but mm. you can't probably think that way either. When your mind is made up, your mind is made up. And um he was lucky he had a wonderful career. He was a brilliant, brilliant jockey and um you know, he got out before Christmas and yeah, I'm sure it was a relief to him and to his family that 
you know, he's 43 years of age, he's had a wonderful long career, but the older you get, the worse the falls get, Marie. Yeah, the harder it is to recover, as you well know. Um, we're going to talk about Jack Kennedy. You just mentioned him there and the leg break that he suffered. His fifth broken leg, Ruby, 23 years of age. You talk about resilience, decision-making, what's best for you, what's best for your life, what's best for your career. When you're that age and you're getting injured so much, and I know it's part of the the career that you that you guys did choose, Are you, does you, do you just keep going back and just, is it the next thing, the next fall, the next injury? Yeah, you just keep getting over it, I suppose. He is 23, so he's lucky in that he has youth on his side. He's unlucky in that he's had so many injuries so young. Um, like He's riding competitively since he was 15. I think he was last of the generation that could get a licence at that age. I think the age requirement went up uh, the year after Jack got his at 15 when he was an apprentice. Um, so he's had eight years uh, as a jockey. I read an interesting article somewhere over the weekend where he spent roughly 700 days injured. So that's a little over two years of those eight he's been on the sidelines. So that's, you know, that's a huge test of your, your mentality, how much you love your job, how much you want to do it. Um, you know, and I, I, look, to be honest with you, when you break your leg for the fifth time that I do know, it's not the physical pain of the bone breaking. It's the mental pain of, what you're going to miss. He's 18 winners in front of Paul Townend in the Jockeys' Championship. Mm-hmm. You know, he's probably probably going to be champion jockey for the first time in his career. Uh, Cheltenham was on the horizon. He had a lot of big rides there. Gordon Elliott has a huge team of horses. He was his number one jockey to Gordon Elliott, and he will be when he comes back. But when you're lying on the stretcher getting carted into the ambulance, for him it was a nace on Sunday and going to nace hospital. Like the pain in his leg is not going through his head. What's going through his head is, what am I going to miss? How long is this going to be? Why did it happen to me again? What do I have mm-hmm. to do for this not to happen to me again? I can imagine all the emotions that were going through his mind and I can understand them and time will heal that. Um, I'm sure by what day is today, Tuesday, he's already thinking, yeah, I have a doctor's appointment on Friday, I'll see what he says. Is there any chance I could make that miracle recovery and be back in nine weeks for the Cheltenham Festival? Um, that'll be pushing it, but knowing Jack Kennedy and his desire he will be trying his best to do that more realistically can he get back early in April hopefully at that stage Paul most likely will have got level maybe one or two by him Um, can he chase him and still be champion jockey you know he's probably clutching at some sort of straws looking for some sort of hope because at the end of the day all sports people are dreamers Marie Mm -hmm. you're looking for some some ray like there you posed a lot of questions there in um, that that uh, little chat that we had and one of them was he'd be asking himself how can I stop this from happening how can I make it not happen again is that is there any way like is there anything no. he can be doing differently like no. is it just there's, there's, there's unlucky no there is unlucky and there is no answer to that I mean you saw the fall he got out on Sunday I mean doesn't matter who you are when you get that fall you're going to get hurt uh, and unfortunately, top band that he was riding was fatally injured as well. It's not something anybody wants to see, but um, there is nothing you can do. But I suppose when you're as positive of, as Jack is, when you ride as forward as he does, as positive as he does, there's a reason he rides as many big winners as he's riding as well. And, you know, he he's always with the horses. He fully trusts them. And uh, look, that was probably a failing of mine as well, but that's the way he rides and... I hope he continues to ride that way because it's great to watch. And the more you get injured, 
the physical pain as you said isn't the big thing it's a mental thing but does it get a little bit easier then because you know you can keep going back like is is that a silly thing to even suggest? Uh, yeah, but coming back is, is is probably the biggest test of all jockeys. Um, probably the biggest test of all sports people. When you're young, you don't you don't don't probably have an appreciation for a defeat. You don't have the understanding of the mental torture, the pain of it. Um, obviously, there's also the physical pain of a fall as well. And it's how with jockeys, especially, it's how they come back from an injury, how they come back from a really heavy fall. Are they as confident? Are they as plucky? Um, I suppose it's in all sports. I mean, mm-hmm. you get wiped out in a tackle. Do you stand in to make the next run or do you stand back? Do you put your hand up and it gets clocked off you <laughs> playing hurling? Yeah. Well, good the hurling put the hand back up. If you yeah. turn a certain way. Yeah, that's all of that. And it's, the, you know, I mean, that's the mental test of, of sports people. And I guess, you know, someone like Jack has already proven that he can come back from injury. And that's a huge thing for jockeys. Huge. So he said five leg breaks at 23. Yeah. Like how many, how many would you have had now in your career? I broke my leg five times in my career. You know. But the last time when I was 38, not when I was 23. Um, I broke when I was 20. I didn't break again until I was 26 or seven, but um, it doesn't get any easier. And yeah, the pain probably gets less. Maybe that's nerve damage or maybe that's, as AP would always say, mental stubbornness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't want to feel it as much. But yeah, look, he, he does have youth on his side. He's probably light boned, a bit like me, and that's what that's what comes with it. Is that a thing? Yeah, definitely. We're all different. Everyone's bone structure, Marie, is different and weightier bones. Jack doesn't really struggle with his weight. That's because he's light boned. I was light of light of bone. Mm. So I didn't was naturally a stone lighter than Barry or AP. But we're all roughly the same size, but I just had less bone. That's why I probably okay. hurt more than later. And then the negative is that you're more likely to... Yeah, you okay. are. But then you look at someone like Rachel, who's Rachel Blackmore, who has to be of lighter bone than both of us. Mm-hmm. And yet she doesn't get injured very much. She's broken her hip. That's about it. So maybe that's a maybe waffle theory. You should theory. all surrender your body's designs at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much mine be working out the science at this stage. I'd say people are always on to you, Ruby, when they get injured, like to... It just helped them mentally get over it because you did it so often. I don't know it does it, but at least when you talk to someone, I can say, I, you don't say, I can't imagine how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. I can look them in the eye and say, I know exactly how you're feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's, I don't know, is that a good advantage or a bad advantage? But but you can, and I suppose what you have to hope is, you, you know, there's, you get injured, you get on with it. The way I used to look at it was... You come home from hospital and it was day one of your recovery. Mm-hmm. Now, and it's how you then occupy your time. Jockeys are different to other sports people. You're not part of a club or part of a team. He doesn't, Jack Kennedy doesn't have somewhere to be this morning, as in a physio or a coach checking up on him. He's not into a team environment where he's going to be monitored all the way back. He's self-employed. He's he's on his own I was lucky and I found great I don't know solace or routine in, in the sports surgery clinic in Santry within the King two mm-hmm. and three days a week as much for the conversation and the rehab and to mentally keep you going in the right direction that's a luxury that most other sports people have that jockeys don't and we're trying to get it organised with the Inter Jockeys Fund and is making progress but if you just had somewhere for giving people that are injured a reason to get up they're professional sports people they don't have another job yeah so get up, give you, get you something to do, stop you, I don't know, lying on the couch, being yeah. sorry for yourself. And just make it part of 
Yeah, and I was, I suppose, older when I got injured, more so. And I always had Gillian who bait you off the couch, I suppose, and make you get up and go and do something. But, um, you know, that's hard for, for younger jockeys too. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. And, and life's so different now as well. Like it's it's probably easy enough to sit there with your phone and communicate that way that mm. you don't have to go out and all the rest. Um, so you did mention Cheltenham and nine weeks away. So we may as well talk about it a little bit, Ruby, before we get on to everything else that we're going to be talking about today. And Christmas is behind us now. And, and no doubt there's probably a clear picture of what's coming down the track at uh, Cheltenham. Let's start with the, the Gold Cup and um, the King George and Stephen's Day Brave Man's Game winning their probably um, has people quite interested in, in what's going to happen in the Gold Cup. Yeah, it does. I mean, he didn't run in Cheltenham last year because they had watered the ground on Tuesday night because it was too quick and then it lashed rain and Paul Nichols threw all his ties out of the pram over the state of the ground. But on any given day, the ground is the same for everybody. Um, so he didn't run at Cheltenham last year. He did run there as a novice hurdler and it was no match for Bob Ollinger, but I wouldn't mind that. He's a much different horse now and you'd have to say that his King George performance was the best run of his life. Um, you know, I love the way he jumped, the way he travelled. He beat Lon Presse, who I, I actually thought was a live Gold Cup contender, but you know, I was really taken with how Brave Man's Gain did it. He wasn't in a great position throughout the race. He had to go around Lompresse, who was jumping left, yet he still managed to, to quicken up and go and win. And he put himself into a Gold Cup picture that the week before Christmas, Gallop and the Champ had jumped into when he won the reschedule, John Durkin, on the 19th. And then you had Brave Man's Gain going winning on the 26th. And then you had, of course, the Savile's Chase here two days later where... Um, conflated went and won under Jack Kennedy who gave him a great ride on that occasion and he put himself maybe in the Gold Cup picture maybe not Michael Leary wouldn't confirm whether he go for the Ryanair or the Gold Cup but he looks like he's in there and then it all rolled on to Tremor on New Year's Day when Manila Indo won he won the Gold Cup two years ago he beat Statler down there on New Year's Day in their Savile's Chase and you know the, the picture I wouldn't say it became any clearer but it definitely became more competitive and it became something to look forward to yeah, and she, look, that's what you want. And you probably say the same then about Constitution Hill winning at Kempton and thinking about the, the champion hurdle. We know now what Honeysuckle's plans are, are going to be as well. And then, of course, Stateman winning at Leopardstown. So an interesting one is going to be there, that one too. Yeah, it is. But can anything, will anything be able to beat Constitution Hill? He just looks... I don't know, Marie. He, he, you know, <laughs> Go he on, what look, does he look like? like what is it? If you put it into context, I yeah. mean, he looks like... He looks like Messi in his prime or... Now David, you're talking David, my language here now. David Clifford or someone yeah. like that. He just looks unplayable. Right. Unmarkable. Constitution Hill just looks unbeatable. Just, yeah, when you look at him, you look, how, if you're going out to ride against him, what do you do to beat him? I can't think of a way because no matter what tactically you do, Nico de Bonville can ride Constitution Hill anyway. He can make the running on him. If you decide to go quick, he'll follow you. If you go slow, he, doesn't, he won't go slow. He'll just go his speed anyway. He's so simple. Okay, so is that the horse or the jockey or the combination of both? The horse is so simple and Nico keeps it simple, which is a great thing in sport if you're able to keep it as simple as possible. And Nico de Bonville keeps it really simple on Constitution Hill, who is a very simple, talented racehorse. And he will be, he's going to need a little bit of bad luck not to win the champion order. Right, that's quite an interesting one, all right. Um, What about the novice hurdlers? Actually, the talking horse was, was facile Vega and he he won at Leperstown. Paul Town in Road and he beat Ilete Tomp. Did he blow everybody away? He, he probably didn't. Were we expecting too much? <sighs> <It's> probably were, <laughs> to be honest with you. But look, he's 
he was unbeaten in his bumpers he's now unbeaten in two hurdle starts and uh, just look from having a foot in the William Mullins camp there's no mm. doubt he's going to improve again to the Dublin Racing Festival and improve from there to Cheltenham that's the way Willie trains them um, he'll go to the Dublin Racing Festival he'll be a short price favourite in the Supreme he'll be very hard to beat but he's going to have to be a better horse than he was at Leperstown at Christmas but I fully expect he will be. Um, and there were some different, decent enough performances. I thought Paul Nichols's ta- Tamores was good in the Talbot hurdle at Sandown last Saturday. Um, Harry Cobden rode him. And uh, it was good to see, for the sport anyway, it was good to see competitive winners of those races in the UK. The race sport had become, mm. not if you're Irish, yeah. <laughs> lopsided, but for the competitiveness of it. Ireland and England, for the industry, really only is one sport. Um, played by two countries and you need the opposition to be strong too. Okay, so you think that they're looking a little bit stronger? They are. I thought Tamora is definitely. I thought Hermes Allen was a good winner of the Chalo Hurdle for Paul Nichols as well um, at Newbury on New Year's Eve. I thought he was a really good winner there and I thought he was probably arguably a better winner than Cham Kiley was of Nace's last Sunday's Lawler's Hotel Novices Hurdle in Nace. So yeah, look, you have to have novice hurdlers if you're going to have open horses then to, ha- to to be the top graded horses it's always about the youth and what's coming through and there does look to be a better band of horses coming through in the UK than they've had for a couple of years What about the novice chasers then? Um, Time Ty- Hill won the Faheen in Kempton I thought he was okay didn't blow you away Guyard de Menil did it well at Leperstown again would he blow you away? Probably not that would leave the, the longer distance races looking quite open Appreciate it was really good at Nace we haven't seen John Bond since he won at Sandown but the horse he beat at Sandown Boot Hill won the wayward lad at Kempton so that just made John Bond's form look even more impressive Sand Roy won at Leperstown I thought Mark Walsh gave him a particularly good ride on the day to win and of course down in Limerick, Jerry Callum won the Faheen Novice Chase for Gordon Elliott and Jordan Gainford. And I suppose of the ones you saw at Christmas, he's probably the one I took out of it, uh, Jerry Callum. I thought he won over two and a half in Limerick at Christmas and stepping up to an extended distance to the rest of the season. He, he could be a very good horse. Okay, so, and then the two mile chasers? The two-mile chaser was red, were stolen seated at Kempton, which was, you know, unlike him. Um, he stepped straight into the ditch and sent Tom Cannon to the moon. Um, and the race was won by editor the Geet of, of um, Gary Moores. But look, Blue Lord looked really good at Leperstown. But I don't know, did we see the, the best horses? We didn't. Um, Enner Grameen, I watched him this morning, actually, at, in Willie's working. He worked really well. He's going back to Ascot in a fortnight's time. So, look, he sets the standard and... Um, he, he he's in pretty good order and I would think Blue Lord and Edward Stone are going to have to go a bit to beat him Pretty interesting um, it must be great to have that kind of first hand like to be able to, to see them so <laughs> well, often close. Then, yeah, you're standing yeah. there watching them you're thinking well yeah he was good that's bad that looks well um, yeah look and it is an interesting time I mean well, like we've dominated the Bears hurdle at Cheltenham for so long yet when you look at the action over Christmas and you look at what's in England Maria's Rock winning the Royal Key Love Envoy winning at Sandown Epitant like there were Nicky Henderson this morning Marie the entries were closing for some of the big races early in the week and Nicky forgot to enter Epitant in the Mayor's hurdle now lucky there's a uh, supplementary stage so she can be yeah so he's doing the entry he's probably entering Best part of 30 horses this morning before 12 o'clock in different races. And he entered in the champion hurdle and he forgot to enter in the mayor's hurdle. Just pure clerical error. Like, yeah, if you're not in yeah. by 12 o'clock, you're not in. So, um, you know, that was get in at 12 o'clock today for 150 quid. Confirm her on the 7th of February or don't scratch her on the 7th of February. It'll cost you mm-hmm. another three. That's 450. And then you have, um, 
a conf- confirmation stage on the 8th of March. So what should have cost him 600 quid is now going to cost him 4,500. Oh my Gosh, did he make the clerical error himself or is that something yeah, in the office? Yeah, he did. He did make the clerical <laughs> error himself. Um, <laughs> he's admitted it and has told you, he has told JB McManus, who owns her, that he will pay the fee if she needs to be supplemented. Well, that's something anyway. At least it was him. Uh, you mentioned Marie's Rock there. Um, how are the mayors looking? Does it feel like England have the upper hand? They do. I, I look, looking back at last year's mayors, um, obviously she wears a well one well in Leperstown at Christmas. She beat Queensbrook. Queensbrook was second to Maria's Rock last year. And then Willie's star novice mayor last year, Brandy Love, hasn't run this year, but I saw her this morning as well and she looked in pretty good shape as well. So she'd probably go straight to Cheltenham, um, Brandy Love, but Willie, I think, did that five times with Cree Vega, so mm. he can do it. Okay, Steers Hurdlers, the only one I think I didn't get to. Oh, it was great to see Paisley Park winning the long walk at, at Kempton. It was lost just before Christmas and it was rescheduled. Paisley Park is a wonderful horse. Made a fool of me in Chatham last year when I thought he should have been pulled up and he came from nowhere to win, but he's, a, he's a, an I incredible like, racehorse. I like Paisley Park so now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he was really good. And then you had home by the Lee winning for Joe O'Brien and, and JJ Slevin at, at Leperstown that won the Christmas hurdle and he looked a really strong stare um, for the O'Driscolls and he looks to be the dark horse. Um, he beats Flooring Porter and Bob Ollinger and the rest of them at Christmas. So I'd say home by the league could make Paisley Park go a bit. Okay, very good, Ruby. Lots to look forward to. We're going to take a very quick break. Stay with us, though. Uh, we'll be talking football very shortly. Game on on 2FM. Yeah, welcome back. I'm delighted to say that Mark Langdon joins us now on the line to talk about all things football, uh, particularly all the transfers that are happening at the moment and all the speculation that is floating around about who is going where and what deal needs to be done to fix a team that's on a bad run. There's plenty of them. But Mark, um, first of all, how are you? Happy New Year. We're going to start with uh, Hugo Lloris, though, and his retirement. Uh, he's 36 and he has um, decided to hang up the boots, as we were, myself and Ruby were talking about earlier. We don't know any footballers or any sports people who actually hangs up the boots, but that's what they do. <laughs> Yeah, I think also, and happy New Year um, to, to, to everybody there. Um, I think um, you usually hang up your gloves as well as a goalkeeper. So um, I don't you have to do his boots and, <laughs> and his gloves. Um, he's been um, a, a grand servant um, to the, the French national team. You know, he's somebody that has stayed loyal to Tottenham. He's been there a, a decade and um, you know he, he's been a mainstay of the French national team as well. Always led his country um, you know, perfectly. He's had, he's had these bad spells, I mean, mm-hmm. and you always will over that period of time. You know, he, he's made mistakes, but um, in the dressing room, not a you know a, a really sort of shouty, um, you know, Roy Keane type captain, just somebody that leads more by example. Um, and I can only think really of the one incident really where um, just after France had won the World Cup when he um, he 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 was um, uh, drink driving um, been the only and that was you know way out of character for somebody like Lloris and was a, a real low point for him but I mean uh, apart from that and on the pitch he has been exemplary really um, and you know it's going to be some um, some big boots or some big gloves um, to, to feel for that that French national team I felt with the European Championship just over you know it's only a sort of season and a half away I felt like maybe he would 
um, stay on, given that Didier Deschamps mm-hmm. has. But he's obviously decided that you know he wants to spend some time with his family. And you would say that in um, Mike Magnon, um, the AC Milan goalkeeper. I mean, France have got a, a, you know somebody ready to come in that can um, really perform at a high level uh, as well. So maybe he felt like his position um, was coming under threat and and didn't want Deschamps to have to you know make a, a, a really tough call and, and felt it was best to do it himself. So you're suggesting he jumped before he was pushed? Um, no, no, because I, I don't think that Deschamps would have done that because I think he he was so loyal to um, Hugo Lloris. Um, and, you know, there have been calls over the last five, six years for him to drop him and he, he just wouldn't and he always had him as the captain. I think Lloris is probably wise enough to realise that um, at the age that he is, he probably... Um, you know, could do even even as a goalkeeper. I think you need to have some rest, and you know, it's the mental fatigue. So I think he wants to just make sure that he's you know he's putting everything into his club career. What's left of that? He's done everything at international level. He's won the World Cup. He's you know he's been to a European Championship final, and he he would have I, I think in himself though would have recognised that the there is pressure coming. Um, you know, up behind him, and you need to have that succession plan in place. And you know, he, he's not a, a selfish guy, and I, I think he would have realised that um, the time has come. Uh, and you know, um, like I say, I felt like maybe he would have held on for, for one more, but um, that that maybe just goes to show what type of character he is. That um, you know, he he wants to go out, you know, right at the top, and you know, he's not that interested in running away with loads more caps. He just you know, he he wanted to go out at the top, and he, he's done that. I can admire that. The other big job, international job, that's vacant, of course, is Belgium's. Um, Andrea Pirlo is being touted. Any confirmation or just rumour? Yeah, I mean, well, they, I mean, in, in terms of, um, of Pirlo, I mean, he had, um, I suppose, a difficult spell, I think it's fair to say, um, when he was a Juventus coach. It wasn't all his fault, but it didn't go well for him there. Um, not not the only one to sort of struggle to find the spot for Cristiano Ronaldo um, in, in the team over the last couple of years. Then he's gone to Turkey. I mean, I could see from Belgium's point of view why they would give somebody like Pirlo a chance because I think they want to play in that kind of Roberto Martinez style. They want um, they want to be a possession-based team. They don't actually pay a lot of money, so they're not going to be able to bring in a big-name coach. And I also think that a lot of the big-name coaches wouldn't fancy that job because it's a, it's a rebuilding sort of um, program in, in place that's needed for Belgium. So I, I think they need to set their sights at a realistic level. And somebody like Pirlo... Um, would at least bring that sort of kudos um, with him. If you look at, you know, Roberto Martinez, he had Thierry Henry in as one of his assistant coaches. And I think that they do kind of want, um, I suppose, um, icons um, in, in the dressing room. So, I mean, I don't, there's not really been too much in Pirlo's coaching career that would say that he's you know, definitely worthy of, of taking on the international job. But his status as a player, I think, is is probably what Belgium would be looking for. And and, and just while we're on Belgium, I, I still can't believe that Roberto Martinez <laughs> you know, not wouldn't be the... Well, he, he wouldn't have the strongest managerial record um, around. Has managed to pick up the Portugal um, job. So he's he's done very well. I would say for himself um, out of you know um, what's been some not. He's certainly not been a success in, in, in loads of his jobs, and yet he always seems to get a, another good one, and he's certainly got one this time around. Yeah, it's a fascinating one now to see how he's going to get on with all those big egos, considering he struggles so much in Belgium. Ruby, correct me if I'm wrong now, but this time last year, were you reading Pirlo's book? I'm correcting you if you're wrong. Okay, I thought for some reason you were reading that. or No, 
Must have um, been a different ruby. Must have been a different ruby, yeah. I think I think there was a... Um, I, I think there, I, I was definitely tested on a question by uh, Ruby on... Uh, there was some sort of PLO sort of thesis or something that he'd done. He, he, he'd maybe done some work for UEFA or... He, he, he definitely... <laughs> there, there was definitely something that stumped me. We've, yeah, we definitely um, had a PLO discussion, the three yeah, of us, yeah, and I was. thought that Ruby had read his book or... I don't know where he got the information, but he had really good information on PLO anyway, that's for sure. Um, proud, I'm proud of myself. I wish I'd remembered it. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. That's the limit, all right. We don't have any details just the, the top yeah. line stuff um, just in terms of the, the transfers and the window is open so we're speculating constantly about who's going where um, a lot of people suggesting that Arsenal are going to get Mudrick um, is that going to be the case do you think Mark? Well, I mean, Arsenal definitely want uh, Modric. There's no doubt um, about that. I mean, Shakhtar have been very strong in the fact that they think he is worth the best part of 100 million euros. Um, you know, they're looking at you know, sort of the Anthony deal, which I think in, in pounds was about 85 million when he went from Ajax to Manchester United. And, you know, they are saying uh, he is a similar type player. Um, and we want similar type money. I think that there is a difference, you know, obviously um, the political situation in Ukraine has made it um, very difficult for Shakhtar to raise funds, and this would be one way of doing that. You know, when you're talking about Ajax, they um, are a club that have already sold lots of players and had money and didn't really want to do that deal. Um, I, I, I still think Arsenal are going to have to go, if not to those kind of limits, are going to have to go um, you know, pretty expensive to get him. Um, I think he's a wonderful talent. Anybody that saw him against Celtic in the um, Champions League this season, we've seen. Um, you know, there's a lot to his game. A dribbler that can play wide, uh, fantastic pace, good touch. You you could see him really settling in at Arsenal because he's not that dissimilar to Martinelli or to Saka really in terms of what he offers on the wing. And and you know, I I, I could definitely see why Arsenal would be looking for him. They obviously need to have somebody else, I think, in that forward line, given Gabriel Jesus is still out for a couple of months. Modric could possibly play through the middle, but wouldn't be strongest position. But Martinelli, I think, is definitely somebody that could play um, through the middle if you needed him to in that kind of Gabriel Jesus position. And um, I I think that it would be a a clever signing by Arsenal because it would be an expensive one, I, I definitely think that, that Mudrick is, um, is is a big, big talent. I think they felt they could get him cheaper because of what's gone on in, in Ukraine. But Shakhtar are, are kind of hanging on and almost, I think, trying to tempt others. You know, they, they were spotted, weren't they? Dario Cern, the sporting director, was spotted um, at Stamford Bridge um, only last week. Um, as if to say, you know, we are speaking to Chelsea about this player as well. So I think they're, they're trying to get a bidding war um, going. Um, but the, the player has always said he wants to play for Arsenal. Arsenal want him. It's just whether Arsenal can can go far enough to make sure that they get him in terms of that um, really high transfer fee. And speaking of Chelsea, Joe Felix, Marcus Turam, Enzo Fernandez, Chelsea are chasing a lot of players. That, yeah, they, they absolutely are. I mean, it's a, a real scattergun approach and one that maybe will um, you know, point to why Graham Potter is finding it difficult at the moment to get any kind of rhythm going in his team. I know they've got a lot of injuries, but their, their transfer policy over the last sort of six months in the last couple of windows has been just chaotic, really, just trying to buy absolutely everybody. I mean, I think in isolation, Chow Felix... Um, would improve Chelsea if you're just saying you know is he going to improve Chelsea yes um, he's somebody that's fallen out of love with the game really I think at Atletico Madrid but he wants to play for a more 
progressive style of, of manager and more progressive style of football than what he gets at Atletico. And he showed bits of his best form at the World Cup for Portugal. Uh, he's somebody that can play sort of as a deeper uh, midfielder and he has been likened to Kaka, um, the, the former Brazilian player, in terms of being able to be his number 10. But I think he can play uh, through the middle and just score goals as well. Um, the, the, I suppose the question marks over Shao Felix, though, is that this is really expensive. Um, 10 million loan fee plus his wages um, for a Chelsea team that's probably not going to qualify for the Champions League next season for either league. So you're wondering, is it worth it? Um, but maybe they feel that Jao Felix is the difference maker for them in terms of you know being able to do something significant in the Champions League. They definitely need something else up front. Havertz, um, I, I still don't know if if we know that he whether he's a, a centre forward or an attacking midfielder. Bamiyang, pretty obvious that he's not up to the standard um, that he showed at Arsenal a few years ago. Um, so they, they they definitely need a centre forward. It's just that you don't normally pay such an extortionate loan fee um, for them but maybe that's just the position Chelsea have found themselves in that they're really desperate in January We had Alan Cawley and Stephen Kelly on yesterday and they felt that Joe Felix is not a player that would improve Chelsea they just didn't think he was up to it there was too many question marks about him and felt that it was quite strongly actually that it was probably the wrong move for both the player and the club so um, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, plays out just while we were talking about clubs there and um there's a report in on the BBC that PSG's owners are interested in buying a minority stake in a Premier League club and that their president of PSG met with Tottenham chairman Daniel Levy in London last week. Um, obviously, we know that Manchester United and Liverpool are looking for some sort of a new ownership or um, some shareholders new sh- would consider new shareholders. Is it going to be PSG or PSG's owners in any of these, do you think, any of these clubs? I, I definitely think that they'll get a Premier League team eventually. I mean, there's no um, there's no secret that um, Al Khalifa, um, PSG president, um, you know, has, has said that they want to do that. You know, it's what most of the teams are talking about. If you, um, you know, Todd Bowley mentioned it when when he was, um, you know, when he first came in at Chelsea that they want, um, you know, a network of clubs. Um, they're already involved in Braga. In Portugal, um, they want the Premier League team. I don't think it will be a Manchester United or Liverpool because in terms of those two, they're looking more for an outright sale, I, I would have thought. And, you know, um, that's that's something that the Qataris can't do because they already own PSG unless they were to um, sort of move out of French football. So I think, a, you know, a minority stake um, makes much more sense. I've, Tottenham are... Um, interested, I think, in, in raising cash, um, you know, and so you, uh, he, Khalifa and uh, Levy are, are good, well, I say good friends, they are reasonably close because that they work together um, on, on the sort of European club board. There have been other links, um, particularly with Wolves at one stage and also um, I, I think quite strongly with Leeds United. So um, you would have thought that somebody at that kind of lower sort of end of the Premier League is the more obvious place um, for the Qataris to, to go into um, rather than, say, Tottenham. But, um, uh, you know, I think that it would, you know, we, we know that Enoch are, are, are looking to, to raise, um, you know, funds, however that may be. I mean, Tottenham have, have, have been, I think, sort of up for sale, if not sort of, you know, the the, the sort of the, the balls have not been up at the club, but they have been sort of, uh, sort of speaking to people and seeing if there was any interest. They've always priced themselves out of um, a move that, you know, Daniel Levy was sort of talking five billion 
um, pounds a, a, a few years ago, and um, you know that, that that's quite a lot of money for for a team like Tottenham. But he thinks that that's what they were. So I, I definitely think that Qataris will be coming to the Premier League, uh, whether it's Tottenham or Leeds or somebody else. I think it's hard to say at this stage, but I'm not surprised that that there have been links because um, in some ways you could see it suiting both teams, uh, you know, both parties, because Qataris want into English football and and Tottenham are looking for investment. Yeah, it does make sense, all right. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it progresses. Uh, Ruby and I were talking about Gareth Bale at the top of the show, Mark, and we we're speculating as to what he could potentially do next. Any insight into what he's... He's only 33. He has a whole career ahead of him if he wants it in something. Um, any idea what he's going to do? I, I don't think it will be in football. Um, I, I, I can see him, uh, you know, just taking up the passion that he's got in, in terms of golf, um, you know, whether that's sort of just pro-am and sort of, you know, hosting events and sort of, you know, getting involved in sort of the, the business as management side of, of golf. I think that would be far more likely than, than anything in football. You know, I'm not sure he actually, you know, loves football. I'm not sure it was his, his, his number one passion, you know. I think he just did it because he was so good at it and, uh, you know, he was he was brilliant at it. I, I, he doesn't strike me as the sort that would, you know, go down the lampard Gerard route and and you know um you know tr- try to make a career in management he's always shied away from sort of media uh responsibilities as well and i know other players have sort of got the bug for the media uh, you know having sort of you know you think of somebody like paul Scholes, you know that, that would never speak to the media and then you know suddenly wants to start doing jobs but <laughs> I, I know don't, he's an I instagram sensation <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and i don't i don't i just don't see that from gareth bell a very private person that's you know he's been earning you know just mm. incredible amounts of money I, I i think that you know if you are to see him in any kind of sporting capacity it will be on a golf course rather than on, on in terms of a football pitch mark there are two quarterfinals in the efl cup tonight manchester united play charlton athletic newcastle united are playing leicester city united got the plum draw on charlton i would think uh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and Cholton not doing great in League One, picked up recently, but Manchester United are probably in their best form for for years, really. And the confidence is flowing back through the team. I think Casemiro's made a huge difference to the team in midfield. Rashford um, is, is scoring goals. Um, you know, it looks very positive at United at the moment. And, and I would expect them to win this game pretty comfortably. I'm sure they'll take you know a few liberties with team selection given the Manchester derby's coming up at the weekend. But whatever rotation Ten Hag puts in place should still be enough to beat the League One team at home. And Newcastle are playing Leicester. Obviously, you got Forest and Wolves tomorrow night in Southampton and Man City as well. But Newcastle, Leicester, Newcastle unbeaten in 12 at home. They're going to go through it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they will. I mean, Leicester have got a lot of injuries at the moment. It's just whether, you know, Brendan Rodgers is able to risk the likes of James Madison. I'm not sure he is. Uh, Newcastle going great guns in the Premier League. It would have been a blow to them to go out of the FA Cup to Sheffield Wednesday um, at, at the weekend. So I think that's put even more emphasis, really, on this tie for them because, um, you know, they they, would, they definitely don't want to go out of two cup competitions in the same week. So, you know, it, it's been a long time since Newcastle won a trophy. This will and has been a main target for them all season long. I would expect them um, to win the game. Probably not going to be loads of goals. They rarely are when Newcastle are playing, but they're very strong defensively, and you wouldn't be able to say the same thing about Leicester at the moment. Is there a lack of depth in that Newcastle squad? Uh, yeah, I think there is. Um, you know, But you, I suppose you have to 
sort of go from where they were mm. sort of 12, 18 months ago. Um, they have spent a lot of money, but they needed to because this was a team that was in relegation trouble only a couple of transfer windows ago. And what happens is w- when you get that investment, uh, you know, that they've had, you're only able to bring in a certain level of player um, at, at a time, you know. And so gradually over the next couple of years, I'm sure what they bring in, you know, will just will just get better organically because uh, you know as as they get more successful, more you know, better players will arrive. But for now, you can sort of still see on the bench that there are still little bits of you know the Steve Bruce team um, that that was knocking around the, the sort of bottom three and four of the, the Premier League not too long ago. So um, it, it's probably not a surprise really that Eddie Howe's squad isn't where he wants it to be. Albeit you've got like 11, 12, maybe thirteen players that he, that he really likes. Forrest are getting a bit of stick, Mark, for flying to play Blackpool at the weekend, the 20-minute flight to Lancaster. They'll hardly fly to Wolves tomorrow night, will they? <laughs> no, no, I think they definitely would be criticised if there was any flying going on between the, the two clubs from the um, East Midlands, um, or, or sort of East and West Midlands. Um, I, I mean, I think um, like, I, I don't think Premier League teams should be making that flight. Um, uh, you know, when they there is all this talk about, you know... Um, being more sustainable. I, I don't think that they needed to do that flight. But as Steve Cooper said, you know, this is not a Nottingham Forest problem. I mean, um, this is basically what elite sports teams and, and, and people do. Um, you know, they, they try to give themselves every little advantage. And it, if sort of not sitting in, in traffic is one way of doing that, then they, they will do unless there is a, you know, a, a kind of general effort from everybody to, 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 to kind of, you know, um, sort of not take to the air. Um, in terms of the game, I think that, I think I really like the look of Wolves actually since Lopetegui went in. I thought they played well at Anfield. Didn't look like a team that was in the bottom three of the Premier League at the weekend. He's a very good manager. I think I think that they might sense an opportunity here to sort of really, um, you know, make a semi-final and then build on that for the rest of um, the Premier League campaign because both teams are in a relegation battle. But I, I'd fancy Wolves to get out of it more. I think than Nottingham Forest. Although looking at sort of the way it's going, you wouldn't be surprised if both stayed up. But I, I, I like the way that Wolves are heading now under Lopetegui. He's a very good coach. It was interesting to hear Nathan Collins speaking after um, that game just about how they prepared almost like a second second pre-season in that um, window when everyone else was off at the World Cup and he seemed to to use it really well and, and um, reaping the rewards of it now. Um, Ruby, were you a helicopter using jockey? I was a national hunt jockey, Murray. Trust me, I was not a helicopter jockey. <laughs> I was Ryanair and Erlingus. <laughs> Uh, very good uh, Mark thank you so much for joining us um, we'll be thank chatting you. to you soon uh, Ruby we'll take a very quick break now and uh, back with rugby Game On on 2FM Welcome back to Game On and we're going to turn our attention back to the UFC at the weekend seeing as Marie and Stephen Ferris didn't get beyond Ulster last <laughs> night we will give the other provinces their due course tonight and Ian Keatley has joined us on the line so we're going to start with Munster Ian how are you? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. No, thanks for coming on. A great win for Munster at the weekend. 33-3 versus the Lions, who scored a penalty in the first five minutes and never got a look in. Some great tries as well. And as a former Munster player, you must have been impressed with what you watched. Yeah, I think especially after the three interpros, this week has always kind of historically been a bogey week. And the week before Europe, it's always a kind of, as I said there, a bogey week for all the Irish provinces. They always kind of 
straight after the Interpros and then they play, I wouldn't say a normal team, but like a, a team in the URC. They, they, it's very hard emotionally to, to get up for, for these games. So um, I know that Leinster, uh, Leinster, Connacht and Munster win. So they'll definitely, they'll, they'll be definitely taking those uh, wins just before before Europe. But, but for Munster, yeah, I wouldn't say it was, you, you'd be talking there in the pub about the, the win for years but it, it was a solid win and they just needed it, needed it and they got five points which is also more important yeah, especially with Northampton coming at the weekend obviously Tyg Byrne Peter Amani Craig Casey Joey Carby they were all rested did a couple of more players stick their hands up though for the selection next weekend yeah uh, and I think one definitely putting his hands up uh, for selection is, is Paddy P- Patterson at, at nine um, he's kind of quite similar to Craig Casey he's, he's a bit of a live wire he's He's quick to the ball and, and he can create magic and he, and he did it on the weekend. He just saw the space open up in front of him from a rook and, and scored a lovely try underneath the post. And I say, uh, Graham Rowntree has I say, a few a few headaches now this weekend. Does he stick with uh, Connor Murray and Craig Casey? Does he go Connor and and, and Patterson? But he he could be looking at Craig Casey and then that injection of pace of, of Patterson off off the bench. So I think. Um, Munster are getting to a place where they're starting to have selection headaches, which which is which is a good place to be. We're also in a place where they're been linked with South African players like Malcolm Marks um, for the last few months, but that's not going to happen, according to Dennis Leamy. He um, he said he would like to work with him, but there's nothing in that, um, which probably does answer a lot of questions about what way their squad is going to take shape over the, the next while and the likes of Slyman as well, whether he's going to come back, which I guess overall it might be a good thing that they're not going to have Michael Marks coming. Yeah, I think at this time of the year there's always rumours going around and obviously Malcolm Marks is an unbelievable player, but I, they probably have more of an issue at, mm-hmm. at tight head props. So, and you have to remember, you can always hear it from the RFU, from Munster, those, the, the budgets are... Um, are quite restrictive at the moment, um, so like they really have to be quite calculated on where they really need uh, need a mark. And fairness to Niall Scano, I wouldn't say he's the most explosive player. He's he's probably not lighting it up like like Dan Sheen or Ronan Kelleher. But in fairness to him, he, he does a job. He's a very good set piece player, and Munster are winning lineouts with him. Um, so they're probably looking at obviously with John Ryan leaving now, uh, Stephen Archer pushing on. They're, they're probably real niche or they're they're. They need they need a real stopgate at, at tight head prop. So, as much as Malcolm Marks would be great to have, I think they've they need problems. Uh, they've got problems elsewhere, and it's probably tight head prop. So they probably I, I've heard now they want to bring in a, a big signing um, in tight head prop, uh, probably an international standard um, prop. But they probably need to to sign two props, and I think they're two tight head props. So we all know that that they don't come cheap. So. Um, I think that's where the money is going to be invested in uh, during the summer. Two tight head props is right. Sorry, Marie, you want to jump in there? I was there? going to just ask, was there any uh, any development on Snyman? Yeah, he's he's back uh, on pitch training session now, which is which is massive. It's that will almost be like a mm-hmm. a new signing for them, considering he hasn't played much. Uh, so he's back. I think he's going to start slowly getting back into contact in the next two or three weeks. I say we'll probably be looking at him at probably around that March date. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure they don't want to rush him back, and they want to make sure that he's he's firing on all cylinders before um, before they get him back playing. I will actually remember this bit correctly now, Ruby. I remember I met him when he was uh, 
when I was shopping for furniture and he was buying a bed in down in the furniture shop in Limerick and he was absolutely massive. We got a picture with their, one of my kids. But I'd say we've barely seen him since then because unfortunately he's been so injured. That was like mid-pandemic. Um, but it would be great to get him back because even I remember back then it was such an exciting thing that he was in the country and that he was going to be playing and we got to see so little of him. So um, hopefully it would be great to to get him back and to, to keep pushing that Munster squad forward. Ruby. I'd love, to, I'd love to see the size of the bed he was getting. <laughs> Tom Marie was going to tell us the size of the bed. I was going to say screen to the bed with him. I was thinking, where are you going with this one, Marie? Imagine if you were a salesperson <laughs> and you, had to, you were trying to pick out the bed for him. You'd be, you'd be trying to put yeah. two together, I'd say. You would. But anyway, look, what about Connacht, then, Ian? Uh, the sports ground in January, wet and windy. Connacht played with the wind in the first half and they took full advantage. Yeah, they did. And in fairness, probably against the Sharks, the Sharks didn't really come fully loaded. They they played pretty much a second string team. But listen, you still have to you have to play what's in front of you. And uh, yeah, Connacht just um, they got they got a nice early try, and they they just they were just a nice solid performance in front of the the sports ground, and uh, they scored a good few tries, and it kind of sets them up nicely for. Um, for Breve now uh, this weekend because they're going well in Europe as well. And do you know what? A good European campaign can really it can, it can kind of kickstart your season again. They've been kind of hit and miss on in the pro um, in the pro fourteen. So um, another another two wins in the European Cup it might set them up nicely for the rest of the season. Marcy yeah, Lawler's heading down to Munster from uh, Connacht, although Andy Friend did say that he's not expecting other coaches to join him. But it, look, a good coup for Munster to get him, but a loss for Connacht. Yeah, definitely. And, and listen, he did his time in Connacht. He he, he did uh, eight seasons there. He went up through the academy and then then got his chance uh, working with the full uh, full team as a, attack coach and backs coach. So he's coming into Munster as skills coach. Which, he, like as a skills coach, you, you'll also be kind of I'm sure he'll be helping Prend, uh, Mike Prendergast out with with the backs um, and the attack coach. So it's definitely a good a good coup for Munster. It's a, definitely a loss for. Um, for Connacht and they're probably Connacht are going a bit through through a little bit of restructuring obviously Andy Friend is going to be gone then at the end of the season that's obviously Mossy Lauder is gone so it's going to be interesting um, how they go there who they bring in do they go foreign again or do they bring in maybe a, a young Irish coach coming in and the juggernaut that is Leinster just kept rolling on at the weekend although did they hit a speed bump or two and the Ospreys made them at least change gears yeah, definitely. Yeah, and as I said, it's probably after the Interpros and a week before Europe. Uh, Irish promises always always struggle uh, these type of weeks. So uh, they did struggle, but once again, whenever Leinster just have their backs against the wall, it's like they can they can flick a switch and turn it on. They they did it against Munster on, on Stevens's day, uh, and they did it again um, against Ospreys. They look like they're they're. They're under pressure. They're scrum. Their front five is under pressure, but they just they just have a good knack of winning, and they know how to 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 turn it on when they want. And uh, in fairness, uh, they scored a few nice tries. Hugo Keane and Jimmy O'Brien, uh, Dan Sheehan scored another try, which we kind of seem to be saying every week. But um, they're in fairness to them, they're they're good quality tries as well. Well worked through the phases, and they've just got this knack of creating space and going through holes and and scoring at the right time. They most certainly do, and they will be in Gloucester at the weekend to play Gloucester um, in the Champions Cup. Ian, thanks a million for taking our call, Marie. Glad I made it back on the show with you. <laughs> Better the Silva's up next. Thanks, Enjoy guys. the rest of your evening. RTE. 2FM.